Hello and welcome to the tech.eu podcast with myself, Neil Murray and Roxanne Vaza. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. So this week we have, again, some really great topics. We have UK startup Oyster, which was known as the Netflix for books, recently announced that it would be shutting down and the founders head off to Google. We also had an exciting week in the French startup scene. So following Blah Blah Car's big round of funding, we had Lychee, which announced an acquisition, iAdvise, which announced another round of funding, and Spotify competitor Deezer, which announced its plans to go public, all happening in one week. And we also caught up, uh, I had a chance to catch up with the business development lead for Netflix for Europe. So that's Clément César. And he gave us an update on their European development. So kicking it off with the UK uh, Oyster deal, I think. Uh, so Oyster was founded two years ago as an ebook reader for mobile primarily. I guess similar to the Spotify model, the platform offers a subscription-based service. So that's $9.95 per month for unlimited access to over 1 million bestsellers and publications. It was great cross-platform solutions. It was available on Kindle Fire, iPad, iPhone, Android, Nook, and the web. What else do we know about this service? Yeah, I mean, it's it was quite an interesting service. Actually, still kind of a big believer in this model. I think, I think it does work. Perhaps there does need to be some tweaking to it. Obviously, there was some issue or something they didn't get quite right to perhaps take it on as far as they could. Um, but uh, it doesn't seem like it's completely the end yet. And so the company, I guess, they, they wrote this. Actually, it's a really kind of sweet blog post on their site announcing that they would be shutting down the service. Or as they put it, they said it will put a sunset on the existing service. I thought it was kind of a sweet way to say it um, within the next few months. And that said, so it will be shutting down. Seems most of the company is heading to Google and to continue working on ebook projects. So what's going on exactly? Yeah, so that that's quite interesting because they in the blog post where they announced it, they say, you know, we couldn't be more kind of excited about the future of ebooks. They clearly haven't given up on their vision. And they say, looking forward, we feel this is best seized by taking on new opportunities to fully realize our vision for ebooks. So they're clearly still going to stay in this space. And then Recode reported that Google had actually picked up most of the team. And that includes the CEO, it includes all of the co-founders. So it, it was really weird because Google denied that they've bought Oyster, yet they have said they're going to repay the investors that have previously backed Oyster. So technically, it's an aquahire. They had $17 million in investment. So if they do actually kind of compensate all of that investment, Google are essentially paying $17 million to hire the team behind Oyster, which is an aquahire albeit an underwhelming one. What I found the most interesting thing is a couple of years ago, we would be going mad saying, her UK startup been bought by Google, or at least heading to Google, there'd be excitement. And this kind of felt like meh, and almost was seen as like a failure because it's shutting down. It's quite funny how just the wording or, or the way it's reported can have such an impact on the way people think about it. I know many, many services who have done worse than this, but say, yeah, we were acquired or yeah, we were, you know, we were acquired when really it's just all failed and, and the company picks it up on a cheap. But this is 17 million. They're going to Google. I think actually it's, it's cool. They still get to continue doing what they want to do, but under the umbrella of Google. Yeah. And I do think you have a, a very good point about the way that it was communicated. I think a lot of the time 
uh, Google even will acquire a company and shut down the service right away. And that is still seen as a huge success. So it's just maybe just the order of things is completely different. But another thing that struck me as odd was Oyster has the backing of some of the biggest publishers. So they had Hachette, HarperCollins, Macmillan, Penguin, Random House, and Simon & Schuster. So I felt like actually it was probably the most solid offer. Um, that kind of surprised me. But I guess what I'm also wondering is what does this mean for Google? I guess there's kind of also some speculation about potential projects that they could be working on in this space. Yeah, I mean, they've denied that. Well, actually, they didn't deny. They declined to comment on whether they will be launching their own version of a kind of Oyster-like product. But I would imagine they're going to do something along those lines. I mean, it would be pretty silly otherwise. The Oyster team are clearly going to work, continue to work in this area. But like I said at the beginning, perhaps they had missed you know perhaps there was just something missing that that they didn't nail so they might take some time to kind of figure out what that is but i i mean it would be absolutely zero surprise if google did move into this space and if it does it would be going up against amazon i guess we'll have to wait and see uh, in the upcoming months where that takes us so now moving away from ebooks and over to the big week we had in the french startup scene so the following blah blah cars 200 million round which we confirmed last week we had some of France's leading startups announce pretty big news this week. So there's three companies that made big announcements. The first one was Lychee, which develops payment solution Mango Pay. So this is essentially one of France's darling fintech startups. They're backed by investors like 360 Capital Partners, ID Invest, Kima Ventures. And so Lychee announced this week an acquisition by a financial institution, Credit Mutuel Arkea. So Credit Mutuel is taking an 86% stake and investing an additional $10 million to help grow Mango Pay. So that payment solution that we mentioned to Leafy has several different products. The numbers of the acquisition were not released, but I guess French publication Le Zico speculated that it would something around 50 million euros, which I guess would be small, but a reasonable acquisition for the company. And just as kind of a full disclaimer, Céline uh, Lazotte, who's the founder, she is a very good friend and is probably considered also one of France's best-known female entrepreneurs. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting acquisition. It was good to see France get a fintech exit. That, that's kind of cool. I know there's a couple of um, interested fintech startups there, so it's nice to see some other European fintech action. In terms of the price, I think 50 million euros, it, like you say, it's, it's, it's fairly reasonable. I think when you when you compare it to other exits that Europe, Europe has had recently, so when we had the Six Wunderkinder exit in Germany, when Microsoft bought them for what in the end looked like it was the lower end of the 100 to 200 million range that was given, so around 100 million euros, everyone was going wild saying this was monumental for the German scene. I didn't really understand that. I thought it was a pretty average exit. So 50 million, I mean, if Germany went wild and called it a monumental occasion for, for their scene, I, I don't see why a 50 million kind of fintech exit, I'd see it as a, a pretty positive exit for the France scene. Yeah, and I think since exits, uh, both IPO and acquisitions are fairly rare. I think that's probably definitely something to be celebrated. So again, on the topic of exits, the other big piece of news this week was Deezer's plans to go public. So Deezer is essentially the French Spotify competitor. Um, Spotify's number is pretty impressive. So 75 million users, including 20 million paid. Deezer's somewhat smaller, uh, 16 million users with 6.3 million paid. So still, still a fairly decent size. Streaming music service, obviously. So the company, which is partly owned by French telco Orange, announced that they want to list on the French stock exchange. So that would be Euronext 
uh, before the end of the year. And this is a really rare move for a French company. I think it's it's very rare in Europe in general to have an IPO, but to list on a local <laughs> exchange, I think, is a very very unseen. I don't I don't know if I actually can think of any examples that have gone on Euronext from the tech space. We obviously had another French company go public a few years ago, so that was Pateo, but they decided to list on Nasdaq. So I don't know. Do you think that we see similar things in other European countries? Yeah, I mean, IPOs in general in, in Europe are definitely down. There were only 5% of exits for were companies going public in Europe last year. I think this is happening globally as well. Whereas companies used to go public to get more funds, because there is later money available or more than there used to be, companies don't really have the need to go public as soon as they did previously. So naturally, we've seen this go down. So it is rather rare for companies to go public these days. I thought it was... For me, like I feel like Spotify has, has avoided it for a while because of the scrutiny or, or because of the type of business that it is. So it is a little surprising to see Deezer go public. I had a quick look at the document. Obviously, risks to the business are always the kind of main part of kind of IPO document. But this, I have to say, it was the longest list or amount of reasons of risks that I'd ever seen in one of these documents. And that's not a comment on Deezer themselves, but more about the type of product that it is. And perhaps one of the reasons why they're going on a local exchange, I mean, this is pure speculation, but perhaps they feel like there will be kind of less scrutiny, if you like, on a smaller exchange than if they were to go public on a bigger exchange. But yeah, it's it's funny. They're going to be, by the end of the year, the price is said to be around 1 million euros, which will be $1.1 million, which means France will have its second unicorn, by the end of the year after previously having none just one or two weeks ago. Talking about French startups go public, there will be, if all goes to plan, another one within a couple of years, which is Sigfox. So they plan to go, and they will float in the US, but they plan to do so within the next two to three years. And when they do, I guess they're also the strongest contender for being France's next unicorn as well. So France may have to wait, even after they've just had two in a row, they may have to wait another year or two until their next one. Because right now, Sig Fox look the strongest for that. And they look like they might go public too. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. So I think after the topic of everything that we can imagine an exit. So we have Lychee getting acquired. We have Deezer wanting to go public. We also have companies obviously still announcing uh, fairly decent sizes, size funding rounds. So we announced a few weeks ago on the podcast that Lengo, which was a French, which is a French e-commerce startup, um, had raised 10 million in funding with some pretty impressive investors. Now we have iAdvise, which is actually based in the same town in, in France. So it's based in Nantes. They've announced a $16 million round with investors that include Iris Capital, Alvin Capital, and BPI France. So these are some of them are historical investors. And this is primarily to consider their international development. So currently based in France, Germany, China, Japan, the US, and Canada. So I think all of this is pretty great news to hear for the French startup scene. Obviously feels like there's a lot happening all at once with all of these announcements that just kind of came in within the last week. But I think it's also important to remember that it doesn't necessarily mean that they've all happened within the next week. So I think a lot of companies will close rounds of funding or they'll sign deals and whatnot, uh, potentially in the early summer months, and then they'll kind of wait it out through the holiday period and everybody will just announce in September. So I think it's important for us to remember that it's not 
all happening exactly right now. Yeah, and that's exactly right. I feel like startups and PR people probably try and avoid journalists during the summer month because obviously they want the maximum exposure to their news. I know this as a 100% fact that many of these companies get the, as you say, get the business done in the early summer months, but they don't want to announce it because they feel like they won't kind of benefit or capitalize on the news that this will bring them. I mean, but I am surprised that Deezer will, will IPO in the in the last quarter because I thought it was funny the other day someone commented on Twitter. It was, a, it was a, a US journalist who said, you know, no unicorns are set to set to go public before the end of this year. And it, it, the way he put it, it was almost like a kind of negative thing. But for me, like, yeah, it's Q4. Like, it's not like the ideal time to go public. It's not surprising that not many choose to go public at the end of the year when it's all quiet. So it is an interesting move from Deezer in that in that way. Yeah, and I think also we can we can keep in mind that Deezer has also changed CEO earlier this year. So um, that that's a very very interesting move from them. Now moving away from the French scene and on to Netflix. So we want to take a look at all of their European activities. I had a chance to catch up with Clément César, who's the European business development lead for Netflix. He actually used to have the same role at Deezer. So funny that we should talk about Deezer today. He was there, I think, for seven years, helped them launch in over 20 different countries. So very, very great experience with international business development. So Netflix first entered Europe about three years ago, starting with the UK, which is perhaps a bit of an obvious move for an American company, but also went into the Nordics and the Netherlands right away. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a, a good strategy from them, I feel. I mean, they're probably the markets that are most comfortable with streaming. I mean, especially the Nordics, it's kind of second nature. Streaming is just what you do there in terms of music and film. So I feel like their strategy was, well, perhaps predictable, but probably the right one. Just entering those markets that are more comfortable with streaming, see how that goes, and then move on to those harder markets. So these European countries that we just mentioned, so UK, Nordics, Netherlands, those were the first essentially international expansions for, for Netflix after Canada. So they were obviously in the U.S. and Canada prior to that. Afterwards, they went to Latin America in 2013, and then they launched two more European markets uh, last year in 2014. So that was France and Germany, I have to say, probably some of the most complicated markets that they're in today. I think despite the complex legislation in some of these countries, they're doing really well, and they're planning to launch three more European countries in October of this year. So we'll see them coming in Spain, Portugal, and Italy. I think what's interesting, though, is when I was speaking with Clément, he told me that one of the more complicated markets that they have to work in is obviously France. I think that probably doesn't come as a surprise to many people. France has a, a law whereby you cannot put a film on a streaming platform until two years after it's been released. So you have to wait that time out. But despite that, they've actually managed to do very well. They've co-produced some local content. I know they've done that in the UK. In France, they've co-produced a show called Marseille. And they're planning to hit the 1 million user mark in France in 2016, which is actually very impressive. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I feel like companies prosper in Europe despite us making it as difficult as possible for them, especially some some bigger US companies that come over. They kind of hit all these kind of European red tape and legislation and each market is so different that it can be a nightmare to kind of negotiate. Yeah, I mean, even for its own companies, Europe kind of hinders them with these regulations. Yeah, I mean, they're doing well. 
I feel, yeah, I mean, if they hit the 1 million user mark in, in France in 2016 as, as their target is, I think that would be really, really successful, actually. I think that would be a good milestone for them. Yeah, I think that that is definitely where they're headed. And talking about the rest of their international expansion plans, obviously we have a few launch new countries that are going to be launched in uh, October in Europe. They're also apparently exploring possibilities in Russia and in different Arab countries, although it looks like over there they may have even bigger challenges especially with regards to liberty of expression. So they would probably have to change some of their catalog and really take into consideration what content they're putting on the platform. Yeah, I mean, I would say in regards to kind of legislative problems is that maybe like five, ten years ago, people would see that as, oh, no, maybe we can't operate in that market or, oh, no, you know, maybe we have to pull out of that market. But these days, I almost feel like it's like validation of a product market fit. I mean, it's so common for for companies like Uber, Netflix, etc. to come come across this opposition. And most of the time, it means because their service is needed or is required by consumers. So it's almost validation rather than a problem. That's it for this week. You can reach us on Twitter. I'm at Neil S.W. Murray. Roxanne is at Roxanne Vaza. We are at tech underscore EU on Twitter. Obviously, the website is tech.eu. Please leave us some feedback on the podcast and what you would like us to cover in the future. It can be found on the website. Uh, We now have our own category for the podcast where you can find all of our previous episodes. And of course, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and SoundCloud. But yeah, that's it. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Roxanne. Thanks, Neil.